Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Thanks for joining us again today on Laser Therapy Institute's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree, and we are going to be talking today about traumatic brain injuries, concussions, head impacts, and so forth. We're going to be referencing a study published in 2015 in Neuropsychiatric Disease and Treatment. The title of the study is Treatments for Traumatic Brain Injury with Emphasis on Transcranial Near-Infrared Laser Phototherapy. Now, if you've been looking at these studies uh, at all on your own, if you've looked into laser therapy, if you've even been just listening to our podcast, you've heard probably about a dozen different terms for laser treatment, uh, all the way from photobiomodulation, which is a fantastic term, to now today we've got this transcranial near-infrared laser phototherapy. Really, all these terms go back to talking about using light to get an effect, a non-thermal repair and regenerative effect on tissues that have been damaged. In this case, we're gonna be talking transcranial near-infrared laser phototherapy meaning that we're going through the cranium, through the skull, into the head, using a near-infrared laser. So uh, before we get into kind of how this, how this study was laid out, I want you to know that it is a retrospective case series, okay? This is not a randomized controlled trial, which is what we really like to see. And this is a retrospective case series. So what the providers did and the, um, the the researchers did here is they went back into the records and and pulled out some cases that had been treated for head injuries um, and, and where they were able to gather the data for how the patients were prior to care were able to control the additional factors along the way and introduce laser therapy as a treatment and then also go ahead and give us the, the final outcomes for these, for these cases. So there, there's no sham control group here. Uh, there's no randomization. This is straight up a retrospective case series. There's still a lot of value in this though because especially when it comes to traumatic brain injury, these cases are all very unique. Every single TBI case is special. It responds differently to care. It has different symptoms. And so going back and just selecting a handful of cases that you've seen come through your office um, is basically what these guys did. However, there is a lot of information in this study about a lot of other things, including additional treatments for TBI, treatments for stroke, the mechanisms of how laser works. So we're going to have this broken into two sections here. The first section that we're gonna be talking about today goes through some of the background on how TBI works, what some of the treatments are, the way that laser works in TBIs, and then we'll go into, and then the next section we'll go into kinda how the actual results came out on this retrospective case series. So, to jump right into TBI. TBI uh, is concussion, uh, which is a mild traumatic brain injury or a repeated mild traumatic brain injury. 
what happens is the brain has some type of trauma to it um, with either contact or non-contact force. So uh, head impact, yes. We think about this a lot in sports. Uh, football players, uh, basketball players, anything where you have uh, some type of impact that happens directly to the head. You can also have non-contact injuries though as well. And that can include significant whiplash where the rapid forward and back motion of the head actually creates a contact force inside the skull where the brain hits the inside of the skull. Also, blast forces. So we see this a lot in military veterans that have undergone some type of explosion, um, IED blasts and things like that. You, that's a non-contact injury in many cases. However, it's very, very much in the same category of the other traumatic brain injuries. Now, stroke uh, is not really technically a traumatic brain injury, but we're going to talk a little bit about stroke along the way here because stroke is still central nervous system damage, and it's kind of similar in some regards to traumatic brain injury. And it has a lot to say um, about the way the brain heals with the studies that have been done on strokes. So, but real focus on the, the actual brain injury itself, the traumatic brain injury, concussion, um, or the repeated mild TBIs. You see these a lot in sports. You see these with those military injuries we just talked about. Um, but also, you see these in motor vehicle collisions, very commonly. You see this in falls, and especially the older population, when they fall, they hit the head. So this is not just one small patient population. This is, across the board, a, a real health problem. Here in the U.S., we're talking 1.6 to 3.8 million cases annually in the United States. That's a lot. That is a lot of people getting a significant head injury. And it happens probably more often than that, really. Both of my kids have had traumatic brain injuries. Uh, mild ones, and we're able to work on them. And I'm happy to say they're in great shape. But you see a lot of these um, that can sometimes slip by uh, undiagnosed because the kids don't get in to get medical care or nobody really recognizes that there has been a traumatic brain injury or in the elderly, people fall, they break a hip, but they also hit the head. Well, the easy thing to focus on is especially that broken hip, sometimes those traumatic brain injuries go undiagnosed and untreated. So very, very common problem. I would encourage you in your practice to evaluate for traumatic brain injuries in your motor vehicle collision patients in the patients who have recently had a fall, even if they don't directly strike the head, you can have a significant enough force on the head and neck that a, that a whiplash case can actually end up damaging the brain um, just from the amount of force that goes uh, into that, that motion. So, um, I'll give you a quote from the study about, about TBI. Um, TBI results in a wide spectrum of neurologic, psychiatric, cognitive, and emotional consequences. In part, the variation is related to the severity of the injury, right? So how significant this injury was. And we're going to talk mostly today about the mild to moderate traumatic brain injuries, um, not the severe brain injuries that do oftentimes leave people completely disabled. But 
Um, the diversity of sequelae that can be related to the areas of the brain that are injured, the severity of the injury itself, the evolution of the injury over time due to neuroinflammatory processes, all that is, really adds to the unique qualities of each traumatic brain injury case. So really, it's not a one-size-fits-all here. You have to evaluate for an actual injury, evaluate the severity of the injury, and then how long this thing has been present has a big impact too on how the patient's going to present. Because again, pulling from the study here, additional mechanisms thought to underlie the damage of TBI include decreased mitochondrial function, calcium and magnesium dysregulation, excitotoxicity, disruption of neural networks, free radical induced damage, excessive nitric oxide, ischemia, and damage to the blood-brain barrier. Okay, if you've heard some of our podcasts, if you've looked into laser therapy, you picked up on a couple of things there. One was that excessive nitric oxide. We've talked in the past about laser therapy actually stimulating greater release of nitric oxide. So if this is one of the symptoms of TBI, is this something we need to worry about? Is it need, is something we need to be uh, aware of when we start talking about treating TBIs uh, with laser? If part of the damage uh, of, of traumatic brain injuries comes back to some excessive nitric oxide, well then why should we want to laser that area or laser that region that's been damaged if it's going to potentially produce more nitric oxide? Well, one of the mechanisms of laser is the short-term release of nitric oxide in areas that need that increased blood flow. And we just talked about ischemia being a part of this. So it's the proper amount of nitric oxide at the right times that's really the, the issue here. You can get excessive nitric oxide release with traumatic brain injury. However, it's surrounded by areas of ischemia and less nitric oxide production. So you need to be able to help the body normalize the, the balance of nitric oxide there to help reduce the ischemia, as well as that free radical induced damage that we just talked about here. Now we talk, um, when we talk mechanisms uh, of laser therapy, um, I'll pull you another quote from the study about that. Mechanisms of laser therapy, near-infrared light has been investigated for its ability to modulate intracellular mechanisms related to healing, right? And then uh, most of our data really points at cytochrome C oxidase in the mitochondrial respiratory chain as really one of the key uh, chromophores that stimulates the changes that we see in damaged tissues. However, there's some information out there, and we're, we're going to do a, an episode on this particular study uh, in the future, but there's some evidence out there that laser works not only potentially in that cytochrome C oxidase mechanism, but also as a cellular pump for the mitochondria. So we actually improve the transmission of uh, mitochondrial-based water across the membranes. Now, that is some super nerdy stuff. I'm sorry I'm bombarding you with there, but we have the ability, my point is, we have the ability to, on these damaged nerve areas to regulate the way that the cells metabolize, to regulate the way the cells run, and to normalize them in a number of different mechanisms, not only in the ATP production process with cytochrome C oxidase, but also with the way that these uh, cellular components actually operate uh, with their bound water components too. Okay, now back to TBI. 
If we're talking about free radical induced damage, excessive nitric oxide and ischemia, damage to the blood-brain barrier, well then you're talking about not only a one-time event, but also a progression of damage over time. So this is not one of those things where you see it happen, it has symptoms, and then they go away. This many times will have minimal symptoms in the initial stages of a TBI that then continue to worsen or continue to develop or change, sometimes even years from the actual injury. Pulling from the, the study here, patients with TBI can experience headaches, visual disturbances, dizziness, cognitive impairment, loss of executive skills, memory impairment, fatigue, impulsivity, impaired judgment, emotional outbursts, anxiety, and depression. When you see someone in your clinic that has depression, that has been fighting anxiety, and we're, ta we're not talking about feeling sad for a little while, we're talking about actual clinical depression here. Uh, significant headaches, uh, motor dysfunction, somebody's just not, my point is you wanna go back in their history and look for traumatic brain injury to potentially be a component of what they've dealt with. Again, Many times that doesn't present immediately after the injury. This can develop over time. So look for some of those symptoms. Because this, this paper goes on to say, look, the situation the patients deal with can be further clouded by secondary and or comorbid post-traumatic stress disorder, um, further depression and anxiety, which then have these overlapping symptoms that make it very difficult sometimes to really tell what's causing what. But a lot of these things do go back to the actual head impacts. And in my practice, I have actually seen traumatic brain injury really disrupt the way that a patient's life functions. So it can have so many different and secondary effects. You, you wanna dig in there and see if this might be a part of some of your tough cases. Uh, the tra traumatic brain injuries can really, really make it difficult for even things that should be simple um, conditions that should be easy to address in your clinic uh, can make it very difficult uh, to get the progress that you need. So treatment options. What are we talking when we do talk about treating concussions, traumatic brain injuries? Well, uh, you may have some ideas on your own. I'm just going to go ahead and pull information from the study here about what they are reporting as is currently used. So number one is drugs. And the drugs uh, that are that are used are used to treat the sequela. They're not used to actually correct the brain damage. So you can have medications prescribed for the depression, uh, for the attention disorders, for alertness, for cognition, uh, insomnia, and then to some degree for memory. But but again, you're not talking about uh, really fixing the damage here. You're talking about just kind of treating the uh, the symptoms and and I'll quote you from the study pharmacological treatment largely targets the neuropsychiatric sequela of TBI rather than providing any means of healing or repairing injury so these these medications can definitely be useful can definitely be actually essential for helping a patient to function but patients need to understand that that's not going to fix their problem it's going to help them live with the issues that they have right now but that's all an additional therapy that the researchers discussed was cognitive rehab. And then they did talk too about 
behavioral therapies and nutritional supplements. And they are actually pretty friendly to nutritional supplements saying, look, there's, there's some supplements out there that do seem to help with promoting neurogenesis, synapse formation, functional recovery. Um, the thing is, there's just not a whole lot of research out there on these. There's some early, early stage results that do seem to be indicating that you can help the recovery with some of these nutraceuticals or these, these nutritional supplements. They discuss transcranial magnetic stimulation um, and the fact that it's very, very difficult to try and use any kind of transcranial magnetic stimulation due to the risk of seizure induction. Um, but, but some animal models have shown some decent results for depression. Hyperbaric oxygen is also discussed in this study as a potential treatment. Um, there are some studies that show that uh, hyperbaric oxygen does help, at least in the short term. Um, however, there's also some studies they discussed that show that it may be more of a sham or a, a, a placebo effect. So it's still pretty controversial as far as what hyperbaric oxygen can do. Um, and, and the thing is, I'll quote from the study again, they say hyperbaric oxygen therapy is neither a benign treatment given the concerns of oxygen toxicity nor a clear treatment and that the placebo condition of moderate hyperbaric room air also in fact effectively improves cognitive function. So even, you know, even looking at it as in the best light we can, it's not necessarily the most recommended treatment at all because we just don't have that much data on how that really works out as well as some information that really it might be more of a placebo effect than anything else. And then you do have those side effects to be, to be aware of with oxygen toxicity. Exercise is the last one they really talk about. Physical exercise, um, evidently, if you can get involved in consistent exercise, it can be helpful. In a six-month study of lifestyle changes uh, with exercise, there was some improved function based on cognitive testing and even looking at the brain perfusion studies. So if exercise is an option, it can be a good one. However, it has to be on the long term. It has to be consistent. And many times, in many cases, traumatic brain injuries do go along uh, with other conditions, other comorbidities that prevent people from really being able to exercise at the right level. So for some patients, the physical exercise isn't even really an option. So, uh, to summarize all that, what the researchers say is, and I'm quoting, unfortunately, little has been found to reverse the damage of traumatic brain injury or repetitive concussion, which is the root cause of residual cognitive and psychological impairment following traumatic brain injury. They go on to say, though, one potential avenue for treatment of TBI is infrared light, which has shown promising data in a number of applications. It's been investigated for its ability to modulate intracellular mechanisms related to healing. I already read you that one. But the application of near-infrared light by low-power laser or light-emitting diode uh, has actually been shown to facilitate wound healing, promote muscle repair, and stimulate angiogenesis or the creation of new blood vessels. So... That idea right there, if we can facilitate wound healing, we can promote repair, we can stimulate better blood flow, that speaks directly to some of the root causes of the symptoms of traumatic brain injury. So 
what they did is they, they kind of got into some of the data here, and I'll, I'll work through that with you. There has been good findings that near-infrared light does pass relatively efficiently through bone. When that was really discovered and measured, researchers started working on animal models. Now, they're using typically very low-power lasers or LEDs, light-emitting diodes, that don't have the focused application of laser but have a more broad um, scattered approach. And in some of the animal models, we've seen very good results in traumatic brain injury models and as well as stroke. The thing is, when we start talking about rat brains versus human brains, we have a very big difference in the type of tissues we have to get through, meaning that we've got a lot more skull and blood flow and uh, density of the skin and even the dura matter between uh, the brain and the skull, there is a lot more tissue between the outside and the brain on humans than there is in animals. However, the animal studies do give us an idea of what can happen. And we've seen very good results in animal studies with these lower power lasers. The thing is, once we try and translate that data from these animal models, from, from the animal model to the human model, you see a big drop off in how effective that can be. And this goes back to some of the NEST 1, 2, and 3 studies and trials. If you've heard of those, they did not really show good results with, with laser therapy and stroke. And one of the theories there is that they did not use enough power. Okay, so does that make sense? If you're, if you're talking about a very, very tiny rat skull and rat brain, and then you try and, try and translate that to a human model, you have to up the intensity somehow if you're going to get light through the skull into the brain to have the effect that you want. So if you're talking about dose and you're talking about treating humans with methods that have been pioneered by animal studies, one thing these researchers say is that a dose-dependent effect for many biological responses to near-infrared light has been demonstrated. But the critical parameter is the dose at the level of the target tissue rather than at the surface. All right? Now, when we talk about dosing laser therapy, we are talking about dose at the surface. We have to, right? because we're treating the surface, trying to get in deeper, but ultimately what we have to measure is what doses do we deliver to the skin, to the skin surface. It's very, very clear from all the studies that have been done that the dose you deliver to the skin is not the dose that gets delivered to the deeper tissues. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and pause here today because there is so much to get out of this one study that I wanna make sure we're not missing anything. So we're going to see you next week where we'll go ahead and conclude on the rest of this study and the outcomes, how to make recommendations. So I will see you next week. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.